0: Okay, if you want to uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 2, we're going to continue our sermon series called Astonished. We've been walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 14, excuse me, this morning, if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we provide under the chairs in front of you, it's on page 1,152, Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14, hear now God's holy and inspired word. The Apostle Paul writes, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, that we have an opportunity now to look into your word, which is powerful, which is true. And which is for us. We pray now that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that this word would now transform us and equip us and empower us to proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would use this time to help us cherish Jesus and what he has done for us. We pray that this would be a time where you equip us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're continuing our sermon series on the book of Galatians. And so we've uh, moved a little way through the book. Now we're uh, into deep into chapter two. Uh, A couple things by way of reminder. First chapter, we talked about how the gospel is not instructions on what you need to do in order to be loved and accepted by God, but rather it's news about what Jesus has done so that All who believe are loved and accepted by God. Uh, Then we talked about Paul's testimony. We focused on how God was the main character of Paul's life and had uh, saved him. And uh, last week, Pastor Mike talked about the Titus test. uh, And that was when uh, Paul was meeting with the other apostles and wanted to make sure that his message was the same as their message. And so he grabbed a Gentile when he went with Uh, went or to to go with him to meet with the apostles to see if they would require that he perform certain Jewish rituals and they didn't and so he celebrated that that everybody had the the same message and then uh, this morning we're looking at the portion where Paul opposes Peter to his face the apostle Paul opposes the apostle Peter to his face and it has to do with hypocrisy uh, we need to realize that Paul is teaching here. He's teaching. This whole book is uh, designed to teach, reteach the Galatians the gospel, to reteach us the gospel. And so he's telling this story for a reason. He wants it to inform their situation and it should inform our situation too. But it centers around Peter's hypocrisy. Peter had begun to do something that he said that he shouldn't be doing in other locations. And, uh, and it really... Resulted in him leading a fearful life for a time and probably completely miserable because, you know, if you're like me, when you get called out as a hypocrite, it's a bad day. Um, you know, if somebody looks at me and says, Matt, you're an idiot. I can handle that most, most of the time. Um, if somebody says, you're wrong, you're a sinner, you know, I can, that's okay. That That can bounce off. But if somebody says, Matt, you say this, but you did this and those don't match up, boom. I'll tell you an example. Um, uh, Early on in my days here at this church when I spent most of my time with the youth, um, uh, we went on a missions trip to Cherokee, North Carolina and uh, we had uh, iPhones, I think at that point had come out um, and we had GPS on the iPhone and Hannah, uh, can I tell this? Sorry, I didn't ask you first. Um, (laughs) Hannah was my navigator, A few rows back, we had one of those 30-row van seats or whatever, maybe 12, 12 passenger or whatever it is. So she's a few rows back and she's trying to tell me where to go. And, you know, I'm a big fat sinner. So I started getting angry and frustrated and I was very harsh with her in front of this van full of kids. Um, And so we got there. We made it. Not... Because of me, uh, but because Hannah did uh, direct us there, and uh, we got there, and we got all unpacked, and everything was okay. And uh, if you, if for those of you who've been to Cherokee, you know we're putting our stuff away in these plywood buildings. It's uh, it's, it's pretty sweet living. And um, anyway, uh, everybody had sort of dispersed, and one student came up to me and he said, "Hey, uh, hey Matt," and I said, "Yeah," and he said, uh, "You know how you always talk about being gentle with your wife." And I said, yeah, I do talk about that a lot. And he said, I feel like you were really mean to Hannah. And I was like, yeah. And it just killed me. And I was super proud of this dude too, you know, for going up to his youth pastor and saying, bro, you missed the mark on that one. But I was just devastated. And the result of that was that I did end up apologizing to Hannah, and we're still married. So um, (laughs) so I know what it's like to be a hypocrite, and you do too. So good news today. Good news for hypocrites like you and me. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what he did in his life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension on high is the ultimate antidote to our hypocrisy. Let's look at this in four ways. I want to talk about the crime and then the cause and then the consequences and finally the cure. Okay, so here we go. Let's jump in. And remember, uh, keep your Bibles open or reopen them, please. Uh, We're going to walk right through this. I want you to see the Word of God in your hands as we see what it shows us about the majesty of our Savior, Lord Jesus. So uh, let's talk about the, the crime here. The crime is gospel hypocrisy. Paul believed, or Peter believed something and even taught something, but then did not live according to that. And so he, he made himself a hypocrite. Look at verses 11 and 12. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So Peter, Peter did something and he knew it was right to do it. And then he stopped doing it. Let me give you a little uh, information on Antioch. This story is from when Paul and Peter were in a place called Antioch, big city. Okay, it was about 500,000 people. And they, uh, scholars believe there was probably around 65,000 Jewish people in the city. And so you had a Christian church which was planted there, and uh, it had a mixture of both Gentile Christians, that would be Christians who were some other religion other than Judaism before they became Christians, and Jewish Christians, So as we see people referred to as Jews and Gentiles, they're all professing Christians, but where they came from is what is being referred to here. Uh, And so you have this mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. And Peter, in the beginning, had hung out with both, and then he started only hanging out with the Jews. Let me tell you why this is so hypocritical. Peter was the person that God had shown something really powerful about what Jesus had done. And the story goes like this. I'm going to summarize it. You can read it in Acts chapter 10 and 11 later if you so choose. And so Peter got hungry and went up on the roof. I mean, who doesn't go on the roof when you're hungry, right? So, so Peter is hungry. He goes up on the roof and he actually falls into a trance. And in that trance, God gives him a vision. I'm not going to go into details on the vision, but what I want to, what, you, what we need to know is the vision showed Peter, that he shouldn't consider anybody impure or unclean, that the blood of Christ was powerful enough to clean all people of all nations, of all backgrounds, of all ethnicities of their sin. And therefore, he should not avoid anybody. He shouldn't separate himself from anybody, but rather engage everybody he possibly can with the gospel and have fellowship with all types of people. And so he applies this uh, in, in the rest of chapter 10, and he goes and he meets with a Gentile named Cornelius, and he has a meal with him, which was very uncharacteristic of Jews. Jews would not eat with Gentiles. They felt it would make them unclean. But Peter does because of what God had shown him. Peter goes and he has lunch or some meal with Cornelius and then Cornelius becomes a Christian. Now in 11, Acts chapter 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he's talking to some of the Christians there, many of whom were Jewish Christians, and he is telling them the story and they say, "Well, well, well glad somebody came to Christ and all Peter, but uh, did you eat with Gentiles?" They criticized him, it says, for the fact that he had spent time and with a Gentile and ate with Gentiles. And Peter's response is fabulous. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And here's why I have good news. And he explains uh, the vision that he had and that God had told him not to call anybody impure or unclean. That's Acts 10:28. Uh, and then in 11, 18, when he's explaining it to them, their response to it is this. So then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter was the primary instrument that God used to teach the Jewish Christians that Gentiles did not have to do Jewish rituals and ceremonies in order to be accepted and loved by God. And then he ends up uh, doing exactly what he told uh, the whole church that you weren't supposed to do. You weren't supposed to separate. That's exactly what he ended up doing. So it is uh, straight up hypocrisy. And the reality is, you know, just like I mentioned before, um, I've been there before. It's happened to me. Uh, the first thing we've got to really grab onto here is that if it can happen to Peter, if it can happen to the apostle Peter, if he can fall into gospel hypocrisy and begin to live in ways that are not equated with what he believes, then it's going to happen to you, it's going to happen to me. And I need to tell you something at the outset here. If we can start by owning the fact that all of us have been hypocritical, the gospel is going to do some serious work on us this morning. So let's own that. You don't have to necessarily confess to your neighbor right now, but own the fact that you have been a hypocrite. Maybe you are right now. In some ways, we all are. But that's the first thing we need to realize. Uh, We are all falling into hypocrisy occasionally. So let's look at the cause. Okay, We talked about the crime gospel hypocrisy. Let's talk about the cause of it. And really what we can see from this text is it was gospel avoidance. Peter had begun to focus on something else other than on the gospel. Okay, so we can see here that one of the real causes of gospel hypocrisy is focusing on what other people think of you as opposed to focusing on what God thinks of you. Because Peter had gotten all caught up in what the circumcision group thought. The circumcision group were people that were demanding that Gentiles follow Jewish customs in order to be accepted by God. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The way the text is framed, grammatically speaking, the verbs separate from and draw back from are in the imperfect tense. And what that means is this didn't happen overnight. It means that it was gradual. He slid into hypocrisy. When the Jews showed up from Jerusalem, that's the men that came from James. They were from Jerusalem. Probably not the same group as the circumcision group, okay? But still, when they showed up for some reason, Peter took his eyes off the gospel. And he kept it on that circumcision group. And he had he had really become a lot like a Gentile. He was eating Gentile foods because God had showed him it was okay. He was hanging out with Gentiles because God had showed him that God wanted him to do that. I mean, he had kind of a, a Gentile style, not a Gangnam style, but a Gentile style, you know, and he he was spending all his time with them and even living a lot like a Gentile, which Paul says, okay? Now, here's what happened. It says that he became afraid. Look at verse 12, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And so what had happened is Peter began to focus not on what God thought of him, but what on this circumcision group thought of him. you know what they thought of him? They thought he was breaking the rules. They thought he was making himself unclean. They thought he was doing the wrong thing. And so as he is feeling their judgment, it starts to really weigh on him. And we've been there. You know how sometimes you're doing something that you know is right. You know you're supposed to be doing it. But people who disagree are looking at you as if you're a bad person. It's so hard. So I can't blame Peter. And so what what happens is Peter, really in an effort to relieve himself of that fear of what they thought of him, he starts really hanging out with only them. And thereby sending the wrong message uh, to the Gentile Christians and causing big problems. Isn't Isn't it amazing how powerful the opinions of other people, how much power they have over you and me? And this is, you know, this is classic Peter. It's classic you and I too. But uh, Peter, we see a lot of, in Peter, we see this uh, fear of what people think. In fact, uh, one of the most famous moments in the New Testament is when Jesus announces that he's going to build his church and he announces to the disciples, this is Matthew 16, that he's going to die. And so Peter gets up in his face and he says, oh no, Jesus, no, I'm not going to let you die, man. Think about what, Jesus replies to him, he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So there again, Peter's focusing on what people think instead of what God thinks. This is why Paul in Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because... When we are focusing on the earthly things, the thoughts of other people, different worldviews other than what the Bible teaches, we're really avoiding the gospel. And as we avoid the gospel, slip into hypocrisy. We are influenced the most by whatever we think about the most. And as Peter thought more and more about what this circumcision group thought of him, he was influenced so much by it that he became a hypocrite. We, So as a church, it just is imperative, it's so critical that we are thinking about Jesus, that we are thinking about his death and resurrection, that we are thinking about the fact that he has set us free, that he's forgiven us of our sin because of what he's done. We need to be thinking about that all the time. Think about this. Imagine that scene if Peter had stayed focused on Christ. If when these the circumcision group was saying, Peter, you're messing up, bro. If he had turned back to the Lord and said, OK, I know the good news. I'm totally clean and forgiven because of Christ. I can. I'm supposed to be hanging out with anybody I want, reminding himself of the gospel, preaching the gospel to himself. Imagine what might have been different in that moment. And so this is why when we When the pastors preach about the importance of being at worship every week or being in a life group or having a personal devotional life or serving in a ministry. When we talk about these things, what we're saying is what we're calling you and ourselves to is continuous gospel infusion consumption. We need to get it in there. We need to be focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because otherwise we slide away from what he has taught us. So whenever you hear us calling you to be reading the Bible, to be at church, to be serving in a ministry, it is so that you are continually focusing your eyes on the one who has redeemed you. Kent Hughes is an author and pastor. He says, we cannot be greatly influenced by something we barely know. And so we want to really know the gospel here. We want to really know the gospel so that it is, it is the, the major influence, the, the only influence, the powerful influence, what Jesus has done, who he is, uh, and what he has done. So uh, we just want to reiterate, when we call you to these things, know that we're saying them not so that if you do them, God will love you, Because if we don't do them, we will lose sight of how much God truly loves us. So we know about the crime and the cause. Uh, Let's talk about the consequences. What happens when we avoid the gospel, when we're not coming and being reminded of our freedom, when we're not spending time with the Lord and seeing what he has done for us? What happens is two things, gospel confusion and then more gospel hypocrisy let's look at the uh, 13 verse 13 says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Let me talk about the confusion. This is what those, the Gentiles were hearing. Okay. They were hearing that Jesus has done all that's necessary for you to be loved and fully accepted by God. And they were hearing, you need to follow these uh, certain Jewish customs in order to be loved and accepted by God. That's confusing. That's gospel confusion. It makes it hard to figure out which I'm supposed to depend on. The news or things that I'm told to do in Scripture. It's very confusing. And I want to tell you that there's a lot of preaching that I have heard That does not preach the gospel. That's why, you know, Mike and I are always preaching the gospel, talking about the gospel, because you need to hear that. And there's a lot of language, even in evangelical churches, that are that's confusing, that says, Jesus has paid it all. But if you don't do this and this and this, you're going to be in trouble. God's going to smack you down. There is this this idea of confusion that permeates some of the churches in the world. It's confusing. In fact, I met a man and I had a great conversation with him this past week. And I asked him what he thought the gospel was. And he said that, you know, it had to do with Jesus. And I said, well, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, I want to, but I don't think I can be as good as I'm supposed to be. And I said, oh, man, do I have good news for you? News for you. And so we had a great conversation. Um, Listen, there are a lot of reasons why we're supposed to pursue holiness. There are a lot of Christ-glorifying, Christ-exalting, God-honoring reasons that you and I should fight against our sin and pursue holiness in Christ-likeness. But so that God loves and accepts us is not one of them. Now, next week, we are going to start getting into why we would pursue obedience and pursue holiness, okay? Uh, And that's basically going to take us a lot of the way through the rest of the book of Galatians. But it is so huge that we see this because the confusion is really problematic for people, especially people who are crying out for salvation. Uh, Okay, so confusion, but also more hypocrisy. Peter sees these circumcision group guys looking at him telling him he's doing something wrong, and he slowly starts hanging out with them. Then it says other Jews followed his lead. So, you know, some of the other Jews, Jewish Christians, were there going, hey, uh, Peter, Peter's not hanging out with Gentiles anymore. What's, uh, what's that all about? And they decide, well, I guess I'll do that too. So now they're only hanging out with Gentiles. And then Paul says, and even Barnabas was led astray. Let me tell you why he mentions Barnabas. Um Because the Galatians knew him. In Acts 16, it says Paul and his companions went to the regions of Galatia. Most scholars say that Barnabas was one of his companions at that time. There's a lot of different places in the book of Acts where you see Paul and and Barnabas running together, planting churches. And so they knew him. And so Paul wanted to make it personal for them. Paul wanted to connect with their heart because, you know, when something uh, happens or you hear a story, but you're not really directly affected, uh, sometimes it's hard to really engage. But he wanted them to engage. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, A couple weeks ago when the bombs exploded at the Boston Marathon, when I first heard of it, I was very sad. I was very angry at the sin in the world. I really wanted Jesus to come back and make things right. And then I had a panic attack. Because I realized that we have a member of our church who's in college in Boston. And I was shaking. Now it's real. Now, good news is, Amy thought quick and knew I'd be flipping out. And so she sent me a text saying that uh, our friend is okay. And so I was able to uh, relax. But when there's that connection, uh, it, it, it hits your heart differently. And... Paul knew that the Galatians knew Barnabas. He doesn't know who you know, but he, what he knows is this: if you will take a moment to consider some people that have been drawn into hypocrisy because of your own, or maybe hurt by your hypocrisy, it's going to hit your heart a little differently. And so that's what one of the applications here is to let that happen, and to sort of that's why in the beginning I wanted you to we need to acknowledge that we do we've become hypocritical from time to time. Make that connection. Let that let that sink in. Uh, that's why Paul told this story. The, the story is about Peter primarily, but I think he told it specifically because they knew Barnabas. And they they needed to they needed to hear that line. Even Barnabas, so that it would hit home. Um, so Paul tells the story for that reason. Now, so how do we apply that then? Gospel hypocrisy is both confusing and contagious. It confuses people on what, how we really are made right with God and it's contagious. We draw other people into it. And I want to say one more thing about that confusion because this is usually how this plays out. And we've got to be real diligent and vigilant about preventing this from happening here. So much of the confusion comes from the way that we don't say verbatim, you're loved and accepted by God because of Christ, but you need to do certain things in order to be loved and accepted by God. We don't always say it verbatim. Here's how it very often comes out. Jesus has paid for all your sin and and made you right with God. But why do you dress like that? Jesus has paid it all, all to Him we owe. What makes you think you should do your hair that way? Why do you listen to that music? This is how this confusion happens. Because we tell people they're loved and accepted by God because of Christ and then we follow it with, but you're not loved and accepted by me unless you do these certain things. See how confusing that is? We cannot tell people God loves you and accepts you fully because of what Christ has done and not follow it with, so I accept you and I love you fully because of what Christ has done. Um, We'll return to this as a church, but hear me, different is not wrong. The Bible is very clear on right and wrong, but there's so much beauty in other cultures, different ethnicities, different traditions. There's so much out there that just falls under the different category, not the wrong And so much of the confusion comes when people point at something that's just different and say it's wrong because it doesn't match their preferences. It's confusing. It can't happen. So if it has happened to you, I'm sorry. And if it's come out of my mouth, I'm really sorry. Um so uh, the confusion we want to deal with and also contagious, it's very clear. You know, we see it happening. And so we need to realize that we're not just going to hurt ourselves when we fall into hypocrisy. It's going to hurt other people. It's going to bring other people down, cause them to avoid the gospel. It's going to uh, hurt other people through the confusion that it, it emits. Basically, when the Galatians are reading this, you know, you, you, would, you would imagine they would say, OK, we don't want that. We don't want to fall into hypocrisy. What are we supposed to do, Paul? And I hope that's where we're at, too. I hope that our hearts have been tenderized enough so that we're ready to say, what are we supposed to do? Because that's exactly what Paul then does. Paul is showing them what needs to be done. Basically, that uh, the gospel needs to go out and people do need to be confronted about their hypocrisy. But think about this. He opposed him to his face. Here's what I want you to realize. We're going to talk about the cure What is the cure for this mess? And the cure is gospel truth. It's not a lecture on be a good person. It's not a lecture on don't do that. It is gospel truth. Look at verse 14. Paul says, uh, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, he said to Peter, a statement, and then he asked him a question. And I, what I want you to see is we do need to be willing to confront each other on our hypocrisy, but we need to do it as Paul is teaching here because it's not what we would think. You don't have to imagine that this was a big violent uh, uh, you know, clash of the titans moment where they were yelling and Paul was like, Peter, you're a Jew and you act like a Gentile. That's, and I'll get that out of your mind. It's simply a matter of Paul said this loud enough so other people could hear and be set free. And I want you to see what he does here because it's absolutely beautiful and powerful. He brings to bear on this situation, not a lecture on what Peter needs to do, but the gospel. Look, love it. Here's what he does. He makes a statement that would automatically invoke a question in Peter's mind. And then he makes a, and then he makes a, uh, and then he asks a question which should bring about a statement in Peter's mind. He actually preaches the gospel to Peter without using the words. Look at this. He says, Peter, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. And if Peter had any sense about him, and we would assume that he did, he would say, oh, yeah, I do. Why is that? And then it would hit him. Oh, yeah, I do. Because of the gospel. Because the finished work of Christ and the blood of Christ has cleansed me. I can't be made unclean. I can hang out with whoever I want. And, and there are things in the Gentile culture that are good and right that I can celebrate. You know, and, and so he, he's, you know, he would have been thinking about the gospel. Paul's rebuke would have directed him right to the gospel. Why are you a Jew that acts like a Gentile? Because you've been set free by Jesus Christ. That's why. And so with that in mind, then Paul asks a question, which also would drive him right to the gospel. He says, so Peter, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And Peter could have only came up with this answer. I've been avoiding the gospel. I've been paying attention to this circumcision group and not to God. I forgot all that he had done for me. And then we know from the rest of New Testament letters, obviously Peter continued his ministry. And uh, that was a powerful moment for Peter. But the power was in the gospel, not Peter. Paul's rebuke was gospel-driven, gospel-centered, and had a beautiful gospel result, reconciliation. You know, just think about that. Just, just feel, just empathize uh, with Peter for a moment and he's, he's realizing uh, he's free because of Christ. He's been making other people not feel free, but now he can change because of the power of the gospel. <sighs> Just imagine those chains falling off. So hypocrites like us, like you and me, we need good news, not, not good behavior. We need, we need some people to point us to good news, not to point their finger in our face and point us to good behavior. And this is critical for us to understand as a church. The gospel has to be the motivation for all of our obedience. Otherwise, it's works righteousness. And we'll talk about that next week. But since I have such good news for hypocrites like you and me, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to realize where you've been living hypocritically. And then I want you to think about this. The gospel is the ultimate antidote to your hypocrisy in three ways. Sorry. Number one. Jesus' death on the cross paid for sin, all sin of all who believe. If you believe, you do not have that on your record. All your hypocrisy, gone. Number two, the gospel is not simply that you and I are forgiven. It's also that you and I, by the glory of God, the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit can become more like Christ, who of all the things you could call Jesus, a hypocrite is not one of them. And we get to become more like him and fight against our hypocrisy. In this particular case, where we're dominated by people's opinions, one of the most powerful things we're going to be able to realize is that we have the approval of Almighty God because of what Christ has done for us. We don't need the approval of other people. And third, when Jesus returns and delivers us to the new heavens and new earth, none of us will ever do anything hypocritical ever again because he'll make us perfect. Only the gospel can really set us free. I heard a story, uh, I'll close with this. I heard a story on NPR, and uh, I was so, like, wowed by it, I I had to look it up on the Internet, you know, because it's on the Internet, and you know it's true. And um, that's a joke, by the way, for just so you know. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, here's the story. A man was here in Florida and he was uh, here with a six-year-old son. They were at a, uh, an event somewhere and they were standing in a line. And part of the line sort of went over this little bridge or on some sort of ledge where uh, several feet below was water. And in Florida where there's water, there may be alligators So this uh, six-year-old boy is, you know, doing what a six-year-old boy does and he's goofing around a little bit, falls into the water. And an eight-foot alligator came up and grabbed onto this little boy's arm. So now this boy, six-year-old boy, his whole arm is in the mouth of an eight-foot alligator. So uh, his dad jumps down into the water, kind of grabs his son underneath his one arm that the alligator had and grabbed his shoulder and just started bashing that alligator in the face with his fist, pounding, 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 pounding away at this alligator's face and nothing was happening except his hand was bleeding more and more. And then, out of the blue, a stranger runs into the water and sees some exposed underbelly of the gator and just unloads, kick, kick, boom, boom. And that stupid alligator let go and swam away, but not too far, because the authorities got him and killed him, praise the Lord. Listen to me. You try to go and grab a hold of your hypocrisy and punch it in the face by trying to just stop it, you're just going to bloody your hand. Jesus is the one who runs to us through the water and kicks the the exposed underbelly of that beast. It is only through the gospel that that beast's jaws will open and it will swim away, and you know he's going to kill it. Isn't that good news? So don't leave here saying, I'm going to go stop being a hypocrite now. You leave here saying, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's pray. Father, we, are, uh, we do ask for forgiveness for our hypocrisy. We own it. Um, and in doing so, we know that Christ has relieved us of ownership of it, and he took it with him uh, to the cross. It has been paid for in full, and it doesn't exist. And so we are rejoicing this morning. And we thank you also, Lord Jesus, that it's not simply a matter of being forgiven, but also that you would make us into a beautiful thing. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You're making beautiful things out of us as we lift these words to you, O Lord, our God, our Redeemer. Would you hear them and be pleased and, 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 and just continue to drive into our hearts this gospel that sets us free? Let us not try to change under our power, but under yours. And do a mighty work in us that we, are, that we will be equipped and empowered and excited to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.